0: Uh, We have been in Romans since August of 2010. Uh, and that has encompassed 74 different sermons. If you are new to Green Tree this morning, it's the first time you walked in the door. Uh, all of our sermons are, are streaming online, so you can catch the first 73 if you would like to. I told the first service, if anybody did that uh, before next Saturday and came to 2028, we'd have some kind of prize for them. I'm not sure what I could give you for listening to 73 sermons in a week. It would need to be like a car or something like that. But uh, if you've missed any here or there, you want to go back and review there or there on the website. We invite you to do that. Today, we're gonna. In just a few minutes, we're gonna read in chapter uh, 16. We're gonna read the first seven verses, and then a couple other verses toward uh, the end of the text. Um, my wife Cindy works at Kirkwood High School, and occasionally, when I'm around Kirkwood or around the area, I'll see uh, one, two, or three high school kids, and I'll walk up to them and I'll say, "Do you know Mrs. Ricks?" Now, there are over 1,700 high school students at Kirkwood High, so they don't all know my wife. But they, if they know her, they know her in one of two contexts. Uh, the first is that she runs a, a study-focused classroom at the high school, which means uh, if you are a student that's in danger or at risk of failing uh, a class or a grade, you could be assigned to her study focus room. And that means when you come in, she's going to help you work on catching up with your assignments. She's going to help you if you're struggling with your math. She's going to work with you, your teacher, your parents. And she's going to try to help you be successful. So that's what she does of the day, but she has one hour a day where she has to be a monitor in the in the lunchroom uh, like all the other uh, counselors and administrators do. So when I walk up to kids who have no idea who I am, you know, they probably think I'm some kind of predator, and, you know, here's this 53-year-old guy walking up to me and starting a conversation, I say, do you know Mrs. Ricks? I get one of two answers if they know her. Oh, she's the mean lady in the lunchroom, (laughs) or yeah, she really helped me. I was, I was failing this class or that class, and, and she, really, um, she really gave me a lot. She helped me learn. Uh, she showed me that I could believe in myself, and, and I passed my class, or, or she's helping me pass my class. Everybody has a reputation, right? Right? It just depends on the context. You could be, uh, you have a reputation at your job, you have a reputation in your family. Uh, you, you might want to ask your family every once in a while, tell me, what, what's my reputation around here? What do you think of me? Uh, whether you're uh, someone that, that is known to you or someone that you observe from a distance. If, if, if we said this morning, let's, let's go back in history, and I mentioned two names. If I said uh, George Washington and Benedict Arnold. Those two people have widely different reputations, lived in the very same generation, and their lives came out radically differently. One was a traitor and one was the the founder, you know, the the father of our country. Uh, John mentioned Mother Teresa a few minutes ago. If I say Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler, you're gonna have radically different reaction to those names. If I say the Kirkwood Pioneers and the Webster Grove Statesmen, if you live in this area and you kind of drink the Kool-Aid like the rest of us do, you may have a certain reaction to one of those two names. Everybody has a reputation. As Paul has been teaching us throughout the book of Romans the theology of the gospel of Jesus. As Paul has been instructing us on the righteousness of God, this perfect blending of God's justice and God's mercy. This is the last Sunday I'm going to get to say this for a while. But God is a perfectly just God. And as we've said all along, Paul points out, he's not going to turn a blind eye to your sin. He's not going to ignore the rebellion that's in my heart and that works its way out in my life. But he is also perfectly merciful. And God is the only one who can bring justice and mercy together at the same moment, and he did that at the cross of Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. God, in his justice, saw Jesus as perfect. And yet Jesus allowed his perfection to be traded for your imperfection and mine, and he took the punishment we deserve so that God could be merciful, so that God could say to Tom Ricks and he could say to you, you don't have to be lost without me. You don't have to die in your sin. You can have new life for all of eternity through Christ. As Paul has been teaching us that over and over and over again, it is not just for the sake of us knowing and understanding what it means to be a Christian. Now, that's highly important. John, John's right. You, your theology is important. But Paul is radically interested in the sociological side of it. How are you and I going to live if we're disciples of Jesus? What impact is being in relationship with him through grace going to have on my life and your life in the day-in and day-out decisions we make? What kind of reputation are we going to have as followers of Jesus? And so as Paul comes to the end of this amazing tome, the, the, the most clear definition of the Christian faith that, that's ever been written, and all of Scripture is inspired, but, but Romans is clearly the uh, pinnacle of Paul's theology he's still radically concerned with the application. How will it work its way out in our lives? So we're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 16 uh, at the first seven verses where Paul is going to uh, introduce us. You may or may not have heard some of these names before to some friends of his, some people that are well-known to him, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about their reputation. And then we're going to skip down to verse 17 where Paul concludes with a warning that even if we don't follow Jesus... We can still have a reputation in the church, but it will look radically different than the other. Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 20. Hear the word of God. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Chetria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Now, some of you in your, in your translation of your Bible might say Priscilla, or some of you might say, wait, shouldn't that say Priscilla? Because don't Priscilla and Aquila go together? And the answer to the question is, yes, this is a variant of that name, but it's one and the same. If you've studied the book of Acts and you've read of Priscilla and Aquila, same folks that Paul's talking about here. It's just he's, he's spelling it a little differently in the Greek. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Apenitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Now, if you skip down to verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers... The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to study your word this morning, as we now seek to worship you with our, our minds and our intellect, Father, we pray that, that your Holy Spirit would engage with us concerning your word. Father, we know that, that individuals have reputations. Father, we know that, that churches, organizations can have reputations, and, and it's no different within uh, the Christian community. Father, um, we don't study theology just to know more. We study your word in the hopes that your spirit would take that word and would change our hearts. Lord, we know who we are. We know the person that's, that's truly inside there. Uh, We know who we present to others. We know that we we try to clean up well and and, and look nice. But, Lord, we know deep in our hearts that we don't deserve your grace. We know that there there are many things in our lives that are broken, some because of what someone else has done to us, but many of them are self-inflicted. We have rebelled against you. So, Father, no one in this room can sit and, and claim innocence. No one here can sit and say, I don't need Jesus we may not believe that he's the answer, but Lord, we can't claim we don't need a Savior. We are lost and we are broken. And Father, it, the, the church often has done great harm, has not helped. So Lord, as we as we study this passage, it would be easy just to just assume we have a good reputation, to just assume we get it right. Father, I pray that you would protect us from that, protect us from an arrogant spirit, from a prideful heart. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would reflect your truth into our lives, that we would See what you say to us this morning and that you would apply it to our lives. That that genuinely our reputation would be a people of grace who extend that to others. Father, what I have to say doesn't matter. My my words are are simply my words, they're of no weight. Please forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. I want to break this uh, passage down into three sections. The first thing we're going to do is uh, look at what I'm going to call names you know and love. Now, I understand you might not know them yet. You may have read this passage before and you're very familiar with them, but my guess is if you're like me, uh, a little bit of study in this area might might introduce you to some new folks. But I think what you're going to find is you're going to fall in love with these folks. You're really going to appreciate what Paul has to say about them. Uh, the second part of the, this uh, three-part section will be names you don't ever really want to know, folks that, that, that Paul kind of calls out for their reputation, which is very contrary to what we're going to see uh, in the first part of the of the passage. And then the last question we want to ask is, what does it mean for us to build a reputation that reflects the Lord Jesus? So that's how we're going to break this deal. Apart. The first part of this is we're simply going to look at the names and how Paul addresses them. And we're going to begin with this, uh, with this woman whose name is Phoebe. And Phoebe is a deaconess. That's what, when Paul says our servant, uh, Phoebe, a servant of the church, he's actually saying a deaconess of the church. Uh, more than likely, this is an official position that she held uh, in her church. And a deacon, the, the word literally means to serve. So that's why some translations word that as a servant. Uh, but she is one who goes about her life caring for the needs of others. Uh, whether they're physical needs, whether they're emotional needs, uh, whether, whether they're monetary, whatever the, the case may be, Phoebe is one who is identified uh, as a trusted uh, deaconess within the church. She is wildly generous. Those are my words, not Paul's. Uh, he says at the bottom, she has been a patron of many... And of myself as well. So Paul has very glowing things to say about this woman who is a great servant of Jesus. Now, the reason he's saying these things is because more than likely, Phoebe is the person who has arrived at Rome and said, I have a letter from you from the Apostle Paul. More than likely, Phoebe is in a delegation or maybe traveling by herself. She is delivering the letter to the Romans. And so when someone delivers a a message to you, you want to know the source, right? Right? Uh, you want to, you look at the return address. You want to know, uh, you know, who it is that, that's speaking to me. If you look at an email, uh, chances are, you know, if you're like me, you look at the email and, and you look at the heading and what it says and you look at the, the person that it's from because you want to kind of get your bearings right. And Paul says, church in Rome, let me help you get your bearings right. This is a wonderful woman. This is a woman whose reputation should precede her as a servant as a trusted fellow representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, who who has spent her life giving to the needs of others. That's a person you could come to really know and love. The second is a couple, Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila, in verses 3 through the very first part of chapter 5, or verse 5. And Paul says, these are ministry partners of mine. These are folks that we've been shoulder to shoulder uh, in, in the ministry. They're my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He also says that they're steady And adversity, look at verse 4, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. When Paul was preaching in Ephesus uh, in one of his missionary journeys, as he was preaching there, a riot broke out. People were violently opposed to Paul. The reaction to his sermon was that, that people wanted to kill him. Um, Now, I've had people say they like my sermons or don't like my sermons. I've never had anybody really physically come after me, and I'd rather not have that experience this morning. Uh, But Paul's preaching of the gospel, where he he talks about, with all clarity, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one, and he preaches that to Jew and Gentile alike. There was a physical reaction. And, And as you go back and you study the passage, chances are, although you can't say this for certain, but I think it's a fairly safe theological um, conclusion to draw, that it was Priscilla and Aquila who got him out of, the, got him out of town, who, who, who got him out of the riot, who, who risked their own lives to take care of Paul. It's like, Paul, if we go down, it's not that big a deal, but if you go down, we're all in real big trouble. You don't have too many friends who will stand by you like that, do you? Who literally will put themselves right next to you when you're in harm's way. A few years ago, I was at a hockey game, um, a high school hockey game, and it was the last game of the season. I wasn't coaching. I was actually just there as, as a parent. I was watching the game. And at the end of the game, uh, one of the people, as, as folks were kind of filing out and, and, uh, and, you know, it was kind of the end of the season and there was, you know, sadness and some hugs and things, there was a guy who stood in the stands, and as the, as the players lined up and shook hands and walked down, he was screaming at our coach. He was yelling at our coach. He was calling him every name in the book. And he's about three rows in front of me. And, and about the time he stopped to catch his breath, being a person who, who has a living of saying things, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I, I said, excuse me. I said, and, and I called him by name. I said, what are you doing? Well, just relax a little bit. And he starts walking towards me. He starts coming up. Then I'm thinking, this is going to be a great sermon illustration. Guess what I did last Saturday at Queenie Park? I started a brawl in the stands. <laughs> you know, your pastor is a great guy. And as he's getting close to me, he's really hot. He's really angry. And he gets on the, where, you know, it's on the, 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 uh, in the stadium, you know, with the seats go up. And he gets to the step in front of me, and two things happen instantaneously. One, Instantaneously. The first is I feel somebody over my left shoulder, but I don't turn to look and see who it is. The second is that he stops dead in his tracks. He stops looking at me, and he looks right there. He says, whatever, and he turns around and walks away. Well, I turn and look over my shoulder, and there's one of the assistant coaches who I've never been in a brawl in my life. I've been in a couple of fights when I was like in high school and junior high school, but I've never been in a brawl. But the guy standing next to me has been in some brawls, and he's a tough customer, and and he's one of the hockey coaches. And I just turned and looked at him. I said, thanks, Joe, and he goes, I got your back. Having somebody who inserts themselves between you and danger is not a bad thing, is it? And here are Priscilla and Aquila who say, Paul, I got your back. And on top of that, they're his ministry partners. on top of that, what does he say? Greet to the church that is in their house. We call these community groups the green tree. A lot of you are in a community group where you have, you know, 10 or 12 people that meet together on a regular basis to study the word. Same idea here. And Paul is saying these guys are, they're in the battle in every sense of the word. Those are folks you could really come to know and love. They have a wonderful reputation. The third uh, two I'm going to put together, although they, I'm just putting them together for the sake of time. Apantyes and Mary, uh, at two different folks here, but they're known for what faith, and they're known for consistent service. Greet my beloved Paul. Ha- this is a term of endearment. Greet my dear friend Apentius. Why? Because he was my first convert to Christ in Asia. We go way back, is what Paul's saying, and and he's been faithful. All these years, and what does he say about Mary? The one who has worked hard for you, Mary has represented you well. Again, simple, simple uh, compliments, but profound in the impact that the gospel has had in these people's lives. So it's very observable to the apostle Paul that these men and women care deeply for Christ and for those around them. And then one other example that we'll give uh, out of uh, out of verse um, seven is Andronicus and Junia. Now, Junia is a female name. Chances are this was a husband wife, could maybe be a brother and sister. They shared either Paul's um, national heritage or perhaps they were family relations. Uh, He calls them my kinsmen and my what? My fellow prisoners. These are folks who are stalwart in persecution. They may not have had to save Paul's life, but, but when the police came to arrest Paul and they said, are you with him? And they didn't sneak into the corner. They said, yeah, we are. Okay, well, you're you're going to jail too. These are folks who, again, faithful in the middle of the battle to the point that they're well respected by who? They are known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. These are what I call wily veterans. These are folks who kind of know their way around the game, they know their way around the battle. Uh, I, I bet my, I, I probably shouldn't say that I bet, but I, I bet my son uh, Jordan last Wednesday, right before the Los Angeles Kings and the, and the New Jersey Devils started game four, that if, if LA won. Was, uh, the Devils were going to be eliminated. And I bet them $5 that the Devils would win the series. And now it's two to three. The reason I've made that bet is because the, the, the Devils have a lot of wily veterans on that team. And they might, just might be able to pull it off. And if not, he was going to get my five bucks anyway. So it isn't really a bet in the truest sense of the, in the, truest sense of the word. That, that'll come out of, you know, of gas money or something. But here are these guys who know their way around and they're known by all to be people who are faithful to the point of going to prison. Wouldn't it be great to have friends in Christ like that, who, who have been there a long time, who, when you, when you mention their name, people go, oh, yeah, you're with them, you're good to go. My, uh, my grandfather is in the St. Louis Amateur Sports Hall of Fame uh, for his soccer playing and coaching and for his umpiring of baseball back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. When I moved back to St. Louis in 1990, I was, I was refereeing college soccer. I may have told you this story before. And I called Mr. Keo, Harry Keo, who is a legend in St. Louis when it comes to soccer. And, uh, and I said, hey, I'm transferring my membership so I can referee. I'm now living here in the Midwest. And Mr. Keogh took my, you know, took my you know, phone call and answer my questions. But I could tell that I went, you know, I was going to be roughing, you know, in southern Illinois and in northwest Missouri. I wasn't going to be anywhere near St. Louis or any really good games. It was kind of like he was doing what he had to. And I said, you know, hey Mr. K, I I just appreciate you taking my call. My my grandfather always spoke well of you. So really who's your grandfather? I said my grandfather's Les Hatcher. You would have thought I said he's the you know president of the United States. All the doors open. Your grandpa's Les Hatchard. Oh, my gosh. He coached me back in the late 40s. He coached me right before. I went and spent time right before we went and played in, in in the World Cup. And, oh, my gosh, he knows more about soccer than anybody else in St. Louis ever has. And all of a sudden, I'm not going to southern Illinois. I'm not going. I'm refereeing SLU versus UCLA, you know, down at the new stadium. I mean, it was just all the doors opened because somebody knew me, because somebody understood the reputation. Paul gives us these names, not because he wants to say, go be like them. They figured out some kind of behavior that makes them look good. Paul mentions these names and he does all, all the rest, eight through sixteen. I just, I'm stopping here because it would just be more of the same, and we don't have enough time. But all these names he gives, he's not saying go try to be like them. He's saying, look what the gospel's done in people's lives. You see, Jesus is the hero of this story. It's not all these folks. The hero of the story is the God of the universe who got off of the throne of heaven and came and, and lived in this broken world and died for us so that his word and his Holy Spirit could enter our lives and transform us. And that's what Paul says in chapter 12, right? Be transformed by the power of God. This is, this is simply saying the reputation of Jesus precedes himself. Look at how he can change the lives of others. And so we must ask the question, is that power transforming my life? Am I cooperating with the Word of God and the Spirit of God? So whether it's like Phoebe and I serve or whether it's like somebody else and, 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 I, and, I, and I stand up under persecution or whether it's, it's just you know, being uh, a long time in the faith and, and maybe I learned some things that I could pass on to the next generation, does my life reflect the reputation of Jesus? Secondly, Paul says there are some names you probably never want to know. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me if you would. I appeal to you, brothers. Now, this is, he's getting pretty strong in his language. Everybody listen up. He's saying, pay attention here. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the heart's of the naive. Notice that Paul doesn't actually even mention any names. And it's not that Paul doesn't have any names to mention. He knows these folks. He's been battling these folks all of his ministry life. Every church Paul planted, these folks would come behind him, and they would try to push people away from the gospel of Jesus into a man-centered, work at at your own strength. You can please God. And they did what? They divided the church. They were divisive because they preach something other than the gospel. And Paul says, you you want to avoid these folks. They are argumentative. They're arrogant. They're selfish. They use the church for their own motives. They have no love for Jesus. It's just all about what they can get. I was uh, was talking to a, a kid that actually plays hockey for me right now a couple months ago, and he was sharing with me all the people that were doing him wrong in his life, and it was a pretty good list. He had eight or 12 folks that he was saying, and this person has done me wrong this way, and this person does this, and, and this teacher has treated me this way, and, and, you know, my parents, I mean, he just was, you know, how everybody else was wrong, and I said, let me ask you a question. As I listen to all these names you mentioned in each one of those, each one of those relationships, there's only one common denominator in the whole thing, and that's you. Maybe you're the divisive one. Maybe you're the one that's got a chip on his shoulder. I said, I I love you, and I'm for you, but I got to tell you, you're looking in all the wrong places. You got to look in the mirror. And, And Paul is saying to us this morning, will we look in the mirror of the gospel? What do we see looking back? Do we see a heart that longs for unity within the church and serving and caring others and, and leaving this place and going out into our community, whether it's next Saturday or just across the street to our next door neighbor and representing Jesus well, his grace, his mercy, as John said earlier, to the outer fringes of our culture, or is it all about us? Paul says, watch out for those who are divisive. He also says, watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. What does that mean? well, what is the doctrine that Paul preaches? Through Jesus, we have salvation by grace alone. It's by God's grace. It's not by our works. It's by faith alone. We don't earn it. We trust in it, right? So salvation through Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone. So anybody that preaches that doctrine, Paul says, you're good to go. But if they throw up another obstacle, if it's Jesus plus teaching Sunday school, Jesus plus never being divorced, Jesus plus giving money to the church, Jesus plus anything, you should turn and run as fast as you can. Stay away from those folks because they are creating an obstacle that God never meant to be in your way. These are what, these are people that are not unbiblical. They're not saying, oh, I just don't believe the Bible. Jesus was a nutcase. I, I don't have anything to do with them. These are people that, that are extra biblical. They're adding something to the message of scripture. And if you want to know how to recognize a cult, this is free of charge, no extra this morning. Little, little tidbit here. If you want to know how to recognize whether somebody's religion is a cult or not, look at what they do with Jesus. If you look at what they do with Jesus and they add to or take away from, they're extra biblical. Not to, not to pick on anybody in particular, but if you look at Mormon doctrine closely, Mormonism is a cult because it is not Jesus on the cross that saves you if you read carefully. It is Jesus on the cross as a good example of how you and I can actually become God. That is not the Christian faith that is placing an obstacle that was never intended to be there. And Paul says, run away as fast as you can. Avoid them because they will bring destruction to the church. He says, you have to be wise, and you have to pay attention. Why? Because they have smooth talk and flattery, and they deceive the hearts of the naive. I was reading again this week the story of, of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Now, some of you guys are pretty young, and you may not remember that, but in the late 70s, uh, Jim Jones had taken all of his followers, and they had gone to, uh, to is, is Guyana Central America or South America? Central America? South America. Thank you. I didn't study my geography before. I came this morning. And, um, and they committed mass suicide. But he was one of the smoothest talking guys you've ever heard. I mean, he could persuade you to, you know, it's kind of like selling, uh, you know, an, a refrigerator to an Eskimo. He could persuade you that he was the smartest, the wisest guy, and you just needed to kind of listen to him and follow him and just sacrifice everything for him. And this is nothing new. Pauls, there are people that are going to come in the church and they're going to try to deceive you through this, this flattery, through this kind of talk, and you want to stay away from it those folks who are divisive, those people who, are, who, who actually bring harm to the church, those people who are extra biblical. Don't allow them to get a foothold in your life or in the life of your congregation. Um, probably seven or eight years ago at least, we were having a meeting in here on a Wednesday night. We had, a, we had dinner together. Some of you were, were, have been here that long. You, you may remember that night. And we were just talking about the vision of Green Tree, kind of where are we going in the next few years. Uh, and, and we do that occasionally. And during that evening, we did a presentation, and then we broke up around the tables, and there was an elder at each one of the tables, and we had like three questions we were asking everybody, and this, again, this, some of you may remember this, and I noticed over, I was sitting over here, I noticed at one of the tables, you know, about three tables over, and I don't remember who the elder was It was at that table. There was a fellow at that table that was very animated, and you could tell it was pretty negative. He, he didn't like some things, and, and he was, you know, it was kind of this motion. You could tell that he was really kind of giving it to everybody in the group. And I just kind of took notice, and I went back to lead my group. And afterwards, I, I went to the elder, and I grabbed him. I said, you know, what's going on? He goes, well, that's a guy that's, you know, he's been at Green Tree for, for about six, seven months, and there's a lot of things he doesn't like. And I'm like, well, what doesn't he like? We well, started talking about it, and they were, they were like doctrinal things. They were, they were like, you know, the essence of our faith. And, uh, and I said, well, well, what did you, know, what did, what did you say to, to that potential giver? I mean, potential member. Um, just seeing if you're awake. Just, just testing the waters a little bit. There are more people awake on this side than on this side, so I'll come over here for a minute. I, I said, what, what did you say to him? He said, I told him a Green Tree wasn't the church for him. Really? Why did you do that? He goes, I, I, if, if that guy doesn't love the Lord and he's bringing that in here, we don't need that. Our job is to protect the flock. Our job is to shepherd the flock. And I'm like, man, thank you, God, that I'm in this church. Thank you, God, that, that there's, there's the reputation of Jesus. Not trying to run the guy out of town, but just saying, brother, we don't believe that. And we're not going to believe that. And, and you're going to be butting your head up against the wall. Paul says that's the kind of attitude we should have. That's why you don't know the names because we, that kind of influence in the church can be so destructive. Well, if that's the negative, and we've seen some examples of the positive, then how do we allow the lordship of Christ to really build our reputation? What should that look like? Last couple of verses that we're going to look at uh, in Romans. Paul says this, For your obedience is known to all. Now, Paul's not talking about obedience earning your salvation. Paul's saying you guys are all living the right way. What Paul's saying, your obedience... To the faith, your obedience to salvation in Jesus alone by grace alone through faith alone. That's the obedience he's talking about, not earning their salvation. Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but what? I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What is Paul saying about reputation building? Well, the first thing he says is be wise about what is good. How do you be wise about what is good? You study what is good. You study the word of God. You learn it. You know it. And then knowledge applied is wisdom, right? Knowledge applied. So you don't just read the Bible for the sake of knowing more theology than your next door neighbor. You read the Bible so you say, God, transform me. Change my character. Make me more like Jesus so that my reputation looks more like his. Paul says, make sure that you're wise about what is good. But the flip side of that is what? Make sure you're innocent as to what is evil. Don't be anywhere near it. Don't flirt with it. Don't come up to the edge. Don't, don't get right up next to it and then kind of step away. I, I remember the book that Cindy and I bought when we visited the Grand Canyon called Death at the Canyon. Um, and we split up in the bookstore and we each bought the same book, which says something about us as a couple. But um, <laughs> it's amazing how many people get right up to the edge and then you're shocked that they fell off. No. If the edge is there, how about you know? Here's plenty close, right? Even a strong gust of wind comes along. Here is you know is more than close enough. Paul says, "Be ignorant, be innocent, be far removed from the practice of evil. You shouldn't even know how." Now that is that's a, a tall order given the day and age in which we live. Because we are bombarded with, with all kinds of evil messages. And I, I don't see a, a demon under every bush. But friends, there's, there's, it's so easy to get distracted by evil that looks so great. The only way we fight against that is what? By the first part, being wise about what is good. You know, guys that look at the, the treasury guys that can discover counterfeit bills, right? They don't spend all day studying counterfeit bills. They look at thousands upon thousands upon thousands of normal bills. So that then when they get to the moment when they see a counterfeit, it's because it, something looks wrong. And the same way is true of us. If you and I are sitting there scratching our heads going, something looks wrong. If that's informed by God's word, then we, we will be safeguarded. We will be protected. We will, be, we will care well for ourselves and for one another. It's not about being holier than thou. It's about understanding that the word of God is a protective element in our hearts and that's what moves us away from evil. And then the last thing Paul reminds him is trust God. This is not your effort. This is not your energy. This is not your own strength. What? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul reminds them very clearly, this is not about your strength. It's about trusting in God's power and God's grace. He will be the one who provides for you. The people that I look up to the most in the faith are the people that don't necessarily do the greatest things or accomplish the greatest things for Jesus, but whose faith is deep and abiding. They know it's not about their strength. In fact, some of my heroes in the faith are people that that actually maybe get it wrong as much as they get it right, but they know it's about grace, and they know that it is only by God's mercy that they're redeemed, and it's not their effort. it's not their energy and paul says remember who to trust it's been quite a journey through romans it's a pinnacle of paul's writing it's a masterpiece for the ages every generation of christians has studied it thoroughly from the day of its writing paul wrote with clarity and authority he defines the righteousness of god in terms of salvation that you and i can understand and i'll say it for the last time the perfect blending of justice and mercy But for the apostle, in the end, it didn't come down to just knowing about Jesus. It came down to knowing Jesus, about knowing his power to transform the hardest of hearts and to give us a new reputation. Amen. Let's pray.